0: Phil Ivey quietly making some noise again. Ivey is the greatest poker player on the planet. Come on. At 33 years old, he's won 22 tournaments worldwide and reportedly won $7 million last year in online poker alone. Even opponents say there is nobody better.
1: You're the king, baby! Phil Ivey number one! Good morning, and welcome to episode three fifty-seven of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. How are you, Ben?
0: Very well, thank you.
1: Excellent. Uh, so it's email Friday, mm-hmm. um, and you've looked at the questions. I've also looked at the questions, but I have not starred the questions. Mm. Have you Have you done anything like that?
0: S- sort of. I have a few.
1: Why don't you read one while I pour some
0: coffee? All right. All right. Uh, John wants to know, Ben and Sam, with Josh Donaldson reportedly changing or with Josh Donaldson's reported agent change today, does he have to pay anything to his old agent? My understanding is that an agent gets a percentage of any salary or endorsement he secures for his client. So I imagine Donaldson would have still owed a percentage of any previously negotiated deals to the old agent but was curious if there are additional transaction costs, severance, retainer for the new agent, etc. that the player has to bear.
1: Do you know the answer? Uh,
0: I do, sort of. Can I,
1: can I guess the answer?
0: Okay. No. Uh, yes, that, that's the answer. As far as I can tell, I, I emailed Joshua Kusnick, who is at a certified player agent and has been writing some articles about being an agent for baseball prospectus. And uh, I sent him this question and and asked him for the answer. And he said that the player who changes agents owes his original agent any endorsement money and any fees not paid yet on a multi-year deal. Uh, So if, if a player gets a five year deal and fires his agent in year three, the player still owes his original agent for the totality of that contract. Uh, so it's whatever work that agent did, he gets paid for. And then I I suppose whatever work, the new agent does, he, he gets paid for. Um, which is maybe why we see so many agent swaps that there really isn't, uh, much of a disincentive for the, the player to switch.
1: Do you feel like we see a lot of agent swaps?
0: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there are more in baseball than there are in other sports or the entertainment industry or any other industry. But I, I mean, you see it fairly often if you look at MLB trade rumors regularly. You'll often see a post about someone switching agents. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's unusual. Um,
1: there was someone.
0: I think it was. Uh, I think it was Oscar Tavares Maybe changed. Agents, like, three times this year, possibly? I have to... Mm -hmm. I I will look that up while you... Do you have a question?
1: Yeah, sure. I I bet there's a lot of agent switching uh, early in guys' careers. Um, Like, before... Like, I mean, it makes sense that Oscar Tavares would kind of be moving up, um, you know, to better agents as he can attract better agents, Uh you know? Um, Because to (laughs) To some degree... Mm-hmm. I mean, to some degree, like, you know, the, uh, the, the Dominican kid who signs for $14,000, um, can't get Scott Boris. He's, he's in fact, in a, in a lot of ways, he's the buyer, um, at, you know, at that early stage, or I guess he's the seller, whichever one you think is the better one to be. He's not it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then as he moves up, you know, he's the guy with the commodity. So, um, yeah. Anyway, All right,
0: Eric. Wait, Oscar Tavares, as of late September, had changed agents four times since January. Yeah. And uh, not well, not to absurd. a not to a different agent each time. He's was with this one guy three times in, in this year alone, uh, which is so
1: he's had five different.
0: He's uh, he
1: went he went from this guy to another. Back to this guy, then to a, a different, and then back to this and guy. And then
0: back to the original guy, yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> Interesting.
1: That doesn't, yeah, so that's weird. <laughs> yes. I wonder, because you. I mean, there's the the two guys in the middle couldn't have possibly gotten a dime out of him, right? Especially because at he this stage in his career.
0: Lead. Right, there's not much he's not even, he, to do for him. He,
1: right, he's ba- his, his salary is basically part of the collective bargaining agreement, or Whatever. So, yeah, uh, that seems weird. That, yeah, that seems weird. Uh, that makes me not like him as much.
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually, when I read that, I, I like sent it to some scout who had said something to me about him before, and I, I kind of wondered like whether I would, yeah, like do you question his makeup because I would, I would yeah. knock
1: him. I would knock him <laughs> a half point on a like on a on a twenty eighty scale if if I had him like a sixty eight uh-huh as a prospect i'd knock him at least to 67.5
0: yeah yeah sure And
1: probably probably like 65 and a half probably i would probably go two and a half uh-huh. points uh eric says if you had the power to change a single thing about the game for one year with the single goal of learning more about the game what would it be assume the players association and teams can't object and you don't care what impact it has on the aesthetics or fan experience or even on the sport going forward this is simply your chance to run a controlled experiment and gather a season's worth of data with no repercussions. Mm.
0: I like this question a lot. This is I know, it's one great, of my right? favorite questions and I, ever. Yeah, and I feel like we should do an, an article or a lineup card or something on it. And I was thinking, whoa, whoa, about hey, it. hey,
1: hey, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Phil Ivy just started following me. Uh? Phil Ivy, the blue check mark, Phil Ivy, real Phil Ivy, and only. 435 follows so this is not a Jose Bautista situation
0: professional poker player Phil Ivey big news wow
1: yeah we might have to we might have, to, <laughs> we might have a new guest <laughs> episode 400 <laughs>
0: um, we should yeah sorry well congratulations on that um, yeah, alright uh, so yeah I thought about this for a little while and I feel like I don't even have an answer that's worthy of the question I was, I was just um I sent it to a few people, uh, who I thought would be as intrigued by it as I was. And I think Dan Brooks had a good, good suggestion that I will adopt, um, which is that, uh, before a random subset of pitches, the batter would be given the sign unknown or unbeknownst to the pitcher. So the pitcher wouldn't know that the the hitter had the sign and couldn't change the sign. Um, but we would know somehow those pitches would be marked or tracked, so we would know which ones that the hitter had the sign for, uh, and we would be able to to track the performance of hitters who knew what pitch was coming versus those who didn't. Um, that's a, a good suggestion. I'd enjoy that one.
1: That's great. That's much more creative than mine.
0: Yeah, there are much a lot more. of... That's the,
1: a very good answer. That's a, I mean, I, yeah, I should have gone to Dan.
0: That was the right. <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, there are a lot of these that I feel like you... You need not only the power to change something about baseball, but then you need, like, a thousand seasons also <laughs> to see what will happen. Um, Phil like...
1: Ivey follows Sabre. Huh.
0: All right. Well, he also we, we'll... follows,
1: He also follows. Uh, so far as I can tell, only two people that I follow. Mark Saxon, the ESPN LA um, okay. uh, uh, writer who used to cover the Angels with me, and Carson Sestouli. <laughs> huh. How about that? Oh, Mike Petriello. Mm-hmm sorry
0: <laughs> are you a big big phil ivy fan
1: i i well i haven't watched uh televised poker in some time because uh, mm-hmm. i don't get that channel but there was a time where i was a a huge huge fan i mean not just of televised poker for like three years when like when i was 20 well, um you should but, probably but also yeah. par- particularly that was like that was that was phil ivy's like you know, heyday. It was like just before it got so big that you couldn't keep any of the players straight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, he was the guy you wanted to see in the tournament. So
0: you should kind of tweet at him and say, thanks for the follow with an exclamation point.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, reigns for hall of fame. He (laughs) follows reigns for hall of fame. Um, Tyler Skaggs.
0: Yeah. So that was a good suggestion by Dan. Uh, I guess I'd like to see. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. There are a lot that I'd like to see that would just take more than one season, probably. What was what was your idea?
1: Oh, uh, so mine's simple, um, and it's just um, in the American League, uh, every pitcher uh, can take steroids, uh, but but no hitters can, and in the National League, every hitter can take steroids, but no pitchers can,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, it's. Uh, we're going to be super serious about the the ones who can't take them not being able to take them. So if you get caught taking them and you're not allowed, your team forfeits every game for the entire season. So we're super, super serious. And you have to you have to report that you're doing it. And if you take steroids without having reported, without having sort of claimed the exemption, you're also forfeiting the entire season. So we would have a, uh, a huge uh, group of known users uh, going up against... Uh, known not users, as well as during interleague, uh, known users going up against known users, and we would see both the uh, effect of PEDs on performance for the first time, mm-hmm. and we would see uh, also the uh, in interleague we would see who has the edge in a uh, in a user versus user matchup.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one.
1: I also would be interested to see whether they would. Whether they would take advantage of this, because I've long had this pet theory that, in fact, the way to get rid of PEDs in sports is to make them legal, but have the players, like, kind of enforce their own code. Mm. Uh, I mean, presumably, players as a group don't want steroids to be used, and uh, I've always found that the unwritten rules are more easily enforced than the written rules because uh, baseball has a uh, sort of tradition of um, Flouting uh, written rules—it's—it's—it's it's con- it's almost considered a, a source of pride to do whatever you can to get around the rules. And mm-hmm. so, once you have this culture that does not actually take rules as morality, but does have unwritten rules kind of as a proxy for morality, uh, I've always had this idea that um, that Tory Hunter could enforce uh, steroids ban much better than Bud Selig ever could. And so, it would be interesting interesting for me to see actually just in that year what the culture was and whether everybody who could use used or yeah. whether most people didn't and if most people didn't what you know how effectively would they keep others from doing it and so that my one fear would actually be that nobody would do it anyway and so I thought about my rule being that you have to do it
0: yeah that's what I was just thinking it might be it might be good just to force certain players to do it just to uh, just to see what the effect is.
1: Yeah, and it could also be the case, uh, nah, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe, sure, but that seems, uh, for an unrealistic question, forcing <laughs> people to do steroids might not be even the answer that I want to go to.
0: Well, we could, we could survey them to ask who would be willing to do it, and then uh, and then we'll let them do it, and they will do it openly. Uh-huh. All right. Or What's at least, uh, okay. Um... Dave asks, do you ever follow trends in new statistics in other sports in case they lead to different ideas about how to look at statistics in baseball? For example, hockey is just in the past few years starting to develop numbers like Corsi and tracking of zone exits, and it seems much of the thinking came from examining the statistical work in baseball. I wonder if it goes the other way, and if it does for you guys, which stats in which sports have caught your eye?
1: Um, I don't, but... I mean, I, I, you know, ideally, I think I would like to, but I, I, don't, I, I think that really appreciate the sorts of things that um, matter in other sports. You have to really understand the sports and follow it closely. I mean, I think that there are a lot of uh, For instance, if, if, let's say you were a, a hockey fan and you followed baseball about as closely as Ben and I follow hockey, um, your exposure to baseball statistical innovations uh, would be would be fairly shallow, and it would be quite misleading. And you would still think that dips was absolute, for instance. Um, and so um, I just don't think that I would be able to to uh, appreciate uh, if if I tried to keep up with current trends. I don't think I would appreciate them with anything sort of uh, uh, reflecting uh, usefulness or accuracy.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely intrigued by it, much more so than I am. I mean, I don't read about other sports uh, in other ways, but if I come across something about some new statistical innovation in another sport, I read it. I don't know whether um, whether I've really ever taken anything from that and applied it to baseball because it often is sort of portrayed as these sports are catching up to baseball because it, it's a more recent uh, development in that sport or it's more difficult to apply certain baseball statistical principles to that sport, but I don't know, like if I'm listening to to hang up and listen or something, and they have Zach Lowe or, or Kirk Goldsberry on to talk about basketball stats, or if I'm reading Tom Tango's site and he posts some some hockey analytics stuff, I will I will read it, and generally it will hold my interest.
1: Yeah, I will read it, and generally it will hold my interest. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I just wouldn't I don't want to like claim credit for like being a, you know multidisciplinary expert <laughs> or anything like that. No. Um, I I feel like most uh, in some way, anytime you and I learn something about another sport, um, we do tend to incorporate it into, into an answer at some point. You know, we did talk about yeah. the coach who never punts, and yesterday I talked about Chip Kelly and the hurry up offense. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I do tend to, to think, like, okay, what would this look like in baseball? But I'm sure that there are, I, I, it would be sort of insulting to the people who uh, think about football the way that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I like to think about baseball to like sort of even presume that I know 1% of of what they know and can make anything of it. Yeah. Uh, Drew, can I read the one from Drew?
0: I don't know what the one from Drew is. Drew
1: asks, what is the youngest player that you uh, think will play in the major leagues in the future and what is the youngest that you would want to see?
0: Uh, I don't know, 17. What position? Pitcher. Uh,
1: yeah, I, uh, I, I think that, um, it's tricky. I don't think that you would ever see a 17 year old at this point, um, because of the way that the league, you know, uh, the, well, basically because six years of service time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean the, the service time clock is very valuable and you don't want to waste your six years before he's, he's you know, anywhere close to his prime um, you know, performance. So I think it, I can actually absolutely imagine a scenario where the six-year service time is gone and it either becomes age-based like everybody hits free agency at 27 or it just goes away completely. Um, or somehow goes away completely, but basically where there's not an incentive for teams to uh, keep their best players uh, in the minors. Um, and in that scenario, uh, I could imagine an 18-year-old pitcher for sure. 17, I guess, if he was a phenom. I, did a, I don't know if you remember this, but I once did a, um, a thing on what, what the latest date was that Bryce Harper was not better than Xavier Nady, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh,
1: because <laughs> I, I don't Xavier Nady. I guess probably Xavier Nady had been playing instead of Bryce Harper or something, mm-hmm. or maybe Bryce Harper replaced Xavier Nady, and it was like, okay, at 15 he definitely wasn't. Even though Xavier Nady was still terrible, I just I could not believe that a 15 year old could play at a major league level. Or even a triple-A level, but then 16, it started to get tricky. And so I could imagine—I mean, I could imagine a 16-year-old Bryce Harper being better than replacement level, uh, not good enough that you would um, use him if it, you know, it, it, and have him be a free agent at 27, mm. sir, uh, at 23. I mean, um, but you know, good enough that um, he's better than 25th guy on your bench, and maybe you're a team whose philosophy is that being. Uh, around big leaguers is better for your development than being around, um, you know, the Midwest League or whatever. So, uh, to answer the question, I don't think in the next 10 years we will see anybody younger than A Rod was when he came up.
0: Uh-huh. Pitcher or hitter? Julio ordiaz will be 17 until yeah. next August 12th. <laughs> yeah. So. And.
1: I mean, we'll I don't know what his translated numbers would be, but I would guess that he wasn't. He wouldn't have been the worst. I mean, he. I'm certain of it. He wouldn't have been the worst pitcher in baseball yeah. last year.
0: No, probably not. Somebody, if he'd been, somebody, if he'd somebody been in the bullpen. Yeah. yeah,
1: somebody pitched an inning last year who was worse than him. Mm-hmm. Sure. At 16. Uh, would you – Would uh, I mean, the answer to the <laughs> the, the second question <laughs> is like there's no way uh, – The younger, the better. This is I would I if it were up to me, the entire league would be fourteen-year-olds and Mm fifty-eight-year-olds, and nothing in between. And uh, and the bats would have spikes on them.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: And the fourteen-year-olds would all be drunk. (laughs) And the fifteen-year-olds, uh, uh, the fifty the fifty-six-year-olds, I mean, would all be.
0: So why wasn't that your answer to to the first question? can change one rule in baseball right
1: i thought about it i thought actually i thought i was trying to think about what rule i would change to get a better grasp on on aging and i actually did think about having the 25 every i thought one of my possibilities was a 25 man roster has to have one of every age Mm -hmm. so uh it can be any age but you cannot duplicate any year so presumably you would have uh, like 19 to 20 uh, to 43 represented or something like that. but then the tricky thing is if you're 20 if, you're, if your 20 year old gets injured he can only be replaced by another 20 year old mm-hmm. and because uh, I, I would actually like to see how 18 year olds do. and I would like to see how 47 year olds do and maybe some team would do 22 to 47 year olds or something. Sure. I would even expand to 30-man rosters in that scenario. (laughs) I would expand to 40-man rosters in that scenario.
0: Uh, Next question comes from someone known only as Mystic Puppet, who says, The spitball was a large part of baseball's early culture, with some players making Hall of Fame careers out of it. Mostly it has died off with the occasional abuser. What if the pitch made a comeback of sorts, and it was revealed that pitchers were using a new spitball that some that somehow umpires could not detect? How many pitchers do you believe would start using this new pitch? Would it be morally different than it was back in the old days? Also, bonus question, would any pitchers in particular surprise you the most? Um, so... I, I chose this question because I, I found a couple other things related to it that I wanted to bring up. But I guess, uh, I mean, part of the reason that the, the spitball was outlawed was that it made the ball so difficult to see. Um, this was an era when the ball was not changed nearly as frequently as it is now. And so the ball would be brown after you'd use it for a while and it would be dangerous and someone could get hit in the head and, and killed, which happened. Um, so it's possible that now when I think the, the average game ball is used for something like four pitches, I think, um, there wouldn't even be time for it really to, to stain the ball. So I guess in that sense, the, the danger, whatever the danger was would be reduced. Um, but I don't know how you would, well, if you change the rules to allow it, then it would, it would no longer be cheating and, and no one would have any problem with it, possibly. Um, I mean, I don't think that you would see it happen because we're not really at a point where people are looking for ways to to swing the balance of power toward pitchers. But, but okay,
1: uh, But so imagine that it wasn't against the... I mean, it was still against the rules, but, you know, there are rules that are enforced and there are rules that are not enforced. The, the sunscreen, for instance, it seems to probably be against the rules, and yet... It's been allowed because um, the culture has supported it and because maybe arguably it makes batters safer because bat- pitchers can get a better grip on the ball. And, you know, the taking too long between pitches has never been enforced. So imagine that it was just very poorly enforced, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, still considered cheating. I mean, I don't know that there's. Uh, it feels to me like these that one of the things that. Um, uh, that is still, uh, I don't remember what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, people talk about how, in, you know, I just did this. I just did this like 10 minutes ago, Talk about how cheating is sort of an accepted part of baseball culture, and um, it's considered, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, kind of an idea, and that steroids was like the first big kind of uh, rift in this, in this culture, um, because nobody is really supporting steroids, there's there's not there's not an idea that it is in any way honorable or sporting or anything like that. But I feel like coinciding with this, and maybe coincidentally or maybe not, but coinciding with this, other forms of cheating have become sort of more embarrassing. Like maybe it's just because nobody does it, and maybe it's because it's it's only like one player a year gets caught doing it. But you just look like such a loser when you get caught now and 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 you know also the other thing is that every once in a while um some blogger will identify some something that is either is cheating or uh appears like cheating and there's Mm -hmm. this great umbrage taken from the player and um it's not considered like an innocent thing the way that i feel like we believe it used to be and i don't know if it ever really was It, it might it might just be that cheaters age well and that after a after a period of time we um we forgive them and we, we honor them, but I don't know. It, maybe at the time uh, Gaylord Perry was just considered a schmuck and nobody wanted to hang out
0: with him. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to bring this up because I came across this uh, this article from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel from March 6, 1955, uh, and it, that the headline is Frick Favors Return of the Old Spitter. Uh, so this is about Ford Frick the baseball commissioner, uh, who said, if I had my way, I'd legalize the old spitter. And uh, the interesting thing is that it ties into what we talked about yesterday about speeding up the game. Uh, It says, commissioner visited the Philadelphia Phillies training camp Monday and took the occasion to discuss the new stopwatch rule requiring pitchers to deliver the ball within 20 seconds after they step on the rubber and the financial prospects of the major leagues this season. The 22nd rule is designed to speed up the action and shorten playing time, a matter of considerable discussion in recent years with many games dragging past the two-hour mark. (laughs) Um, And uh, he talks about how people can get around the rules if they want to. If he had his way, he'd legalize the spitter. It was a great pitch and one of the easiest to throw. There was nothing dangerous about it. Mostly the ball dipped and did tricks from a natural delivery. It was nothing like this screwball they have to throw today, with a twisted elbow and a tricky snapping of the wrist. No wonder today's pitchers can't go on as long. (laughs) So this article is like almost 70 years old, and it's talking about how games are going on too long and pitchers aren't going deep enough into games. Uh, And we should legalize the (laughs) spitter. Yeah. Yeah, good find. Yeah. and uh, Solid ball. Also, the, uh, the Wikipedia page for spitball has a comparisons to other sports section. Mm-hmm. And s- since we have, not, uh, we have not brought up cricket on this show for a while, and we always try to if there's an opportunity, the techniques used to prepare a spitball are analogous to the techniques still used to condition the ball in cricket. As was the case in pre-1920s baseball, a single cricket ball is used for a long period of time almost 500 deliveries in international cricket, and the fielding team progressively attempts to make one side of the ball more shiny than the other to create such phenomena as swing bowling. Some techniques, such as physically polishing the ball against the player's clothing or applying sweat and saliva, (laughs) and then there's a parenthetical, even when tainted with mints that a player is sucking on, (laughs) are entirely legal and are used widely. Other techniques are illegal, known as ball tampering, and include such practices as altering the ball's state by the use of artificial substances such as sunblock or dirt, or degradation by fingernails or other hard substances. Intentionally returning the ball along the ground to abrade it or raising the seam. So, in cricket, you can you can pretty much uh, you can pretty much throw a spitball, even when you're sucking on a mint.
1: And cricket is the the sport of gentlemen. It's a... yeah. It's uh, it's like uh, the 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 gentleman's version of baseball. So, it's all about uh, you know how you define your own mores,
0: right? We're gonna get ten emails about that. Now. I
1: was gonna say ten too. <laughs> ten was actually my estimate.
0: Um,
1: all right. Our, should we? Uh, uh, do you have a last one, or do, should I do a last one? Uh,
0: there, are, there's like a follow up to yesterday.
1: Go for a it. A couple
0: little follow ups to yesterday. Um,
1: oh, I have one by the way. This okay. is a this is uh off topic okay, uh, but when we talked about uh, like a w- like a week or two ago about what uh what we would measure if we could measure that that isn't currently measured, yeah you remember that yeah and you said like uh what did you say like how many times they shake off the catcher or something like that uh, broken bats or
0: someone no, broken said... bats
1: are you know things <laughs> yeah. like that yeah well mine mine is now uh how many times a player slides or dives uh-huh. I would love to have every player's uh, to-the-ground total for the year.
0: And classified as head-first or foot-first? and Could be, but I it.
1: don't really care. Dirty is dirty
0: to mm. me. Okay. Um, Mike in Philly said that, After listening to yesterday's podcast, I was a little confused in regard to your thought process on rising strikeout rates and their continuing upward trend. Later in the show, Ben mentioned the possible elimination of pitchers hitting. Wouldn't the permanent DH in both leagues, especially with season-long interleague, cause the strikeout rates to fall-slash-normalize, as you would no longer lose a DH when AL teams played in NL parks, and NL versus NL would no longer have to bat seven-year-olds? Or am I wrong in thinking a DH over a full season of at-bats would strike out less than a five-man rotation? Uh, So that is true, right? I think NL, NL pitchers last season, who were much better than AL pitchers last season, Struck out thirty six point four percent of the time, which is almost exactly Chris Carter, uh, who was the the major league leader in strikeout rate. So, NL pitchers as a group struck out as often as the guy who struck out the most. Um, so, if you got rid of all of them, that that would there would be a dip of some some degree.
1: So, how many of the uh, top strikeout rates in baseball? Uh, let's say of the top five strikeout rates in baseball for pitching, uh, were in the American League last year. Do you think?
0: Uh, well, you'd have to have a, a pretty small minimum number of plate appearances, right?
1: No, no team team wide. Oh, team Te- team wide. Which teams' pitching staffs had the highest strikeout rates per you know per nine? Uh, you know of the top five teams, how many do you think were AL and how many do you think were NL? Uh...
0: I don't know. I guess uh, I feel like the, the Tigers were first, probably. They were. So, they were. so that's one. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess I would guess that all the others were National League?
1: All the others were American League.
0: All the others were American
1: League.
0: Hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. So what does that tell us?
1: Uh, well, it either tells us that American League pitchers are that much better, or that there's not that big a difference. I mean, pitchers don't bat that much; they bat twice a game.
0: Wait, hold um, on. We're talking about we're talking about pitching staff striking out hitters, right?
1: Yeah, we are. So, so uh, AL pitchers struck out 7.7 per nine last year, and NL pitchers struck out 7.5 per nine. So, so I mean, while interleague is a small part of that. The, uh, AL batters presumably struck out more than NL batters as a as a collective. I mean pitchers don't bat all that the, the, much.
0: Dodgers and the Reds fourth and fifth?
1: According I did not. to what I'm looking at. I didn't have that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're looking at, I'm looking per at
0: percentage, not per nine.
1: I'm looking at per nine. Uh, sorry. Well. Yours is a better stat if you want me to retract. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, <laughs>
0: do you have league-wide percentages? Because that would be uh, no. I don't. Okay.
1: I don't, I don't have league-wide percentages.
0: All right. Uh, well, I can I can, I can. I can do it. Yeah, or I could do it while you're talking.
1: Uh, I'd rather you talk.
0: <laughs> Which one okay. of us has to talk? Is <laughs> <laughs> uh, well? You were the one saying something. But I was, were,
1: the the, the point the... is. The point is that uh, that this is that the rise in strikeout rates is not a pitcher batting phenomenon by any means Mm -hmm. everybody strikes out more than they used to uh al batters strike out more than they used to and they strike out more than nl batters and so the point is just that that's my point
0: yeah but if do you think it's big enough that it would counteract the natural rise for at least like one season or two
1: uh maybe for one season or two i mean maybe Maybe. How many times did pitchers strike out? Uh,
0: Uh, I can tell you that. Uh,
1: So go ahead and tell me that.
0: NL pitchers struck out 1,868 times.
1: Uh, Okay, so 1,868 times. Uh, So by the way, uh, NL's strikeout rate was 19.9% and AL strikeout rate is 197 or 19.8%.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So <laughs> there is one, <laughs> one in a thousand batters strikes out in the NL who does not strike out in the AL. I knew it. Uh, all right, so how many times did you say?
0: 1868.
1: 1868, and how many plate appearances? 5136. Okay, so that is a uh, 36% strikeout rate. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if we give them the league average of 19.8%, then, uh, 1,016 batters would have struck out. Okay. So, so that's, what is that? 800 850, strikeouts? 850. 850. 850. Yeah. So 850 strikeouts over the course of 2,430 times 2. So 4,860. Oh. So basically, uh... strikeouts per nine Hmm. so yeah that would that would reverse for like four years probably
0: maybe yeah well yeah there was a year recently where it rose by like half a k per nine Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah most years i guess that would that would reverse it or slow it for a little while
1: what is do you have the uh do you have the season k's per nine averages
0: uh, I was just looking yesterday I think it was let's see Uh, I have it 7.5
1: 7.6, 7.6, 7.1, 7.1, 7.0 so basically over the last 7 years it's gone up 1 strikeout so yeah like it it would basically be like a year and a half that mm-hmm. it would slow the flow I guess mm-hmm.
0: okay <laughs> you got to hear some live math performed
1: <laughs> and lively math
0: too <laughs> Yeah um, Alright, that's enough Except for this one um, <laughs> This is a, a short one It's just uh, Gordon asked uh, The topic of automated umpiring reminded me of a question I've had since reading Ben's Grantland article On that topic yesterday And in the article you mentioned the idea of an umpire aid Such as a pocket buzzer or LED indicator That would inform an umpire of the pitch PitchFX ruling an adjunct possibility was a heads-up display that would give the ump a centered view. I'm wondering about the effect Google Glass or a similar apparatus could have an umpire assistance. Uh, I'm no, by no means an expert on emerging technologies or umpiring for that matter. However, if the technology can already give an observer in the stands feedback on pitch type speed and the outcome, it seems pitch FX could be incorporated directly into an umpire's view of the game. Does this seem like a feasible possibility? Uh, yes. I think so. I mean, the uh, the, well,
1: the thing, that, uh, yeah. that
0: Google Glass demo that shows like someone in the stands watching a baseball game and he sees the pitch FX info is is just the pitch FX info that you see on MLB Game Day. Uh, it's not telling you whether it's a ball or a strike, but theoretically, you could have the sort of heads up display that we have on our TVs superimposed on an umpire's view, or at least in the in the corner of an umpire's view. Something but like what
1: that. what what excuse does he have for not calling a strike that's in that box though at that point? I mean, yeah, a, right. at a certain mm-hmm. point, what is the difference between having a computer do it and having an umpire who is forced to follow a computer?
0: Uh, yeah, not not much. And there's, it's, there's not. I mean, it's that's why the calibration is really off for some reason. Then he would maybe be able to tell, although uh, when I was writing that article and talking to people about it, Dan Brooks made the point that if you did have an umpire who had this sort of aid and he just sort of went with whatever the aid told him was the correct call, then he probably wouldn't even be prepared really when there was the, the rare case where a pitch was just missed by the system or the calibration was off. He would be so used to depending on it that even if he was told to sort of come to his own conclusion, just in case um, human nature being what it is, he probably wouldn't be prepared to make that call or make it as accurately as he would when he is the the sole arbiter um so yeah I, I think if you're if you're going to do something like that you you probably just pretty much take it out of their their hands except for a few rare emergency cases but yeah, it, and, it would be a way
1: Yeah. Right. And it's my belief that baseball has never actually wanted a rulebook strike zone to be called to the rulebook, that it likes the variance, that it does not actually want uh, a box that's called consistently, Mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, this is for that reason, this would basically be against baseball's wishes. People, I, I don't think that baseball. Has ever wanted that to be the case? Basically, mm-hmm. It's always given umpires the ability to make the strike zone their own sort of personal, uh, personal morality playing field. So,
0: yeah. and yeah, I'm not sure I feel differently as a as a writer. At least as a fan, I might feel differently, but as a writer who gets a lot of material out of bad calls and and how bad was that call and what percentage of pitches in that location are called strikes and balls and Catcher framing and all those little nuances that would just disappear. I would be sorry to see that go.
1: I want no strike
0: zone. <laughs> right. Well you Second
1: Night in a row. I've brought already that up. there. I
0: might this might be the year that I turn this into a political movement. <sighs> well, I followed Phil Ivey at the beginning of this podcast and I was <laughs> trying to stretch it out, <laughs> hoping that he might <laughs> follow me back by the end. But no uh-huh. no. You didn't. Sorry,
1: he he has. It looks like he's followed like he's followed like 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 a hundred people since he followed me. Huh. Oh my gosh, he's followed like well, he's followed
0: probably two
1: hundred. He's followed multiple hundreds of people since he followed. Well, he's followed one hundred and ten people.
0: All right. Well, maybe he got Keith Keith Law. Maybe he got hacked by a, a baseball loving. I don't know. Same well, he, he
1: had he had baseball follows all along but uh, you know, I think Reigns Hall of Fame isn't that old of a of a Twitter account. And so it does make me wonder whether all of these are today that like maybe he he you know like he's gone on a that, that I was not the first of his uh, <laughs> of his flood of follows and in fact he might have followed oh he followed Deadspin, Grantland, uh, so Josh s- Herzenberg. Josh Herzenberg, oh, member of Baseball Perspective prospect, prospect Team.
0: So you're yeah, saying there's so- a chance for me. There's hope. <laughs> I'm
1: saying that it looks followed
0: by this poker player I barely have heard of. <laughs>
1: it looks like a pretty he did follow me before Sistuli, so that's Ooh. kind of Bradley that's Hicks. kind of nice. <laughs> nice to know.
0: All Interesting. right.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. I'll be I'll be monitoring it closely and we'll have updates.
0: Yes. Uh okay. So that's it for the week. Send us questions for next week. At podcast at you, baseball perspective. He is wearing com.
1: headphones. You know, he, he's wearing headphones in his avatar and he's you know, he famously often wears headphones. It this is conceivable that podcast. he is playing playing a tournament right now, listening to us talk about him and trying not to smile because this is all sort of surreal and weird to him, but he doesn't want to smile because he's he's got his poker face, you know. <laughs> he doesn't want to give anything away. Yeah. So right now he's try he's staring at a guy and trying really hard not to smile right now. Like right now, Phil. right now you're trying not to smile right is that right phil all
0: right this is getting weird uh okay so podcast at baseballperspectus.com. we'll be back with a full schedule next week although sadly not on a multiple of five uh we hope that you will rate and review us on itunes and subscribe to the show on itunes so that itunes will know that you're a listener um, and follow or join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups slash effectively wild. Uh, have a wonderful weekend.